When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Todd Dillon, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me uh, this week, or not this week, this month, I guess, since the last time we did an episode, we're here to talk about the song Born in Time, which first appeared on Dylan's 1990 album, Under the Red Sky, is musician Jared Scott London. Jared, thank you for doing the show. Uh, Thank you, Rob, for having me on. This is a real treat. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Jared was... Approached me about being on the show, and Jared, as I mentioned, is a musician, and I love having musicians on because obviously it's not something I can speak to with any authority, as if I can even speak to the other stuff with authority. But with the the, mu- the music part of it, I really can't speak to. So I really love having musicians on. So, and uh, Jared, you picked a very interesting song. Not certainly not right. one that most people would would even select. So that'll be interesting. Before we get to all that, though, since you are new to the show, I always want to ask people like this for the first time. Right. Uh, what's your history with Dylan? How did you come to him? Uh, have you seen him live? Any of that stuff? Like, so what's, what, what's your backstory with him? Uh, yeah, definitely seen him live, but I guess to go back, you know, I think when I was very young, the first experience I had, I saw the movie dangerous, dangerous minds. Have you seen that with Michelle Pfeiffer? Yes. Where she teaches <laughs> kids about poetry via Bob Dylan. Exactly. And she's like, find the poem that, uh, that is similar between Bob Dylan's and Dylan Thomas's. And I think in the first part that she teaches it, she brings up the song, Let Me Die in My Footsteps. And uh, she brings up the line, when I go to my grave, my head will be high. And she talks about how that's sort of perhaps a reference to being stoned and not just about, you know, being proud or something like that. I think that was the first time I heard it. The first time that I heard that words can have sort of that double meaning. And I was young, maybe I was eight or nine or 10 or something like that. Uh, and so that was, that was the first time I heard it. And then later on in life, I was very into the day of Matthew's band and I was listening to a lot of their live stuff. And one day I'm listening to, uh, Dave's cover of all along the watchtower uh-huh. and my dad sort of knows the words. And I'm like, how do you know this? And he's like, well, this is a classic Dylan song. <laughs> and uh, I guess then I was like, all right, well, I got to look into this Dylan guy. And before I knew it, you know, I was in high school and I think my mom got me the essential Bob Dylan album. And I had two very close friends and, and we were all sort of getting into Dylan together at the same time. We were starting to experiment with marijuana and it felt like it felt like <laughs> autumn lasted all year uh, that year. Uh, it felt like we were literally in like the freewheeling Bob Dylan sixties. <laughs> And uh, I sort of went chronologically, and it, and it sort of it, it never stopped. But I think what's funny about this song that we're going to talk about is that I, I sort of skipped this generation. I think I skipped like the 80s and the beginning of the 90s and sort of uh, started again at modern times. Mm. Um, so it, it's sort of been fun to come back to this period. Uh, and it's really only since he received the Nobel Prize that I've just been sort of diving in even further. When you think there's no more to find, <laughs> so much of Dylan's catalog. There's always I, more. <laughs> Never it's stop. insane. Now, you, so said that, you, you said you've seen him live? Yeah, I, I saw him live. I think the first time was in 2009. That was right after uh, Modern Times came out. I saw, I saw him on Long Island. I'm from New York. Uh, I saw him in Madison, Wisconsin uh, once. And I actually I saw him the day that Barack Obama – 
came in 2012 uh, uh, to campaign as one of his last stops. I think it was the day before election day. And Dylan actually, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't usually speak at these things, but he made a comment how the president was in town and that he thought he was going to win again. <laughs> and, uh, Dylan was right. <laughs> wow, that's it. Yeah, that's that is pretty unusual. Sometimes you get the sense that Bob is only vaguely aware of the modern what's going on around him. Right. And of course, I mean, you know, so the fact that he even sort of said that that's pretty remarkable yeah you can once you start discovering man it just goes on and on forever and there's just so much material it's 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 really incredible and it's also like each album's a different artist and there's so many personalities and stories and genres of music that it, it's like a trove it's truly a trove of, of just great great music yeah, well, very cool. So, yeah, we're here to said we're as I mentioned, we're here to talk about uh, "Born in Time." This is appeared on "Under the Red Sky." Uh, this is a song that is one of, maybe not unfortunately, but one of many uh, that fit in a certain category for diehard Dylan fans. Now, maybe you don't exactly agree, but for me, this is a song that when you hear it on the official record, which is where I first heard it, right, I was like, "All right, it's a pretty good song. Not great, uh, you know, it's not one of my favorites off the album." And then you go and discover that there are other versions of it that are way better <laughs> than the one Bob eventually chose. Right, Telltale Signs. Telltale Signs was on the Bootleg series. This this song was originally recorded under the producer Daniel Lenoir for Oh Mercy, and then it was he did a couple of takes of it, and then it was left behind, and then it was dusted off for the following album, which is Under the Red Sky. And this, that time it was produced by the Was Brothers, Don and David Was. And yeah, the, the versions to me, the versions that you hear on the, the bootleg series are dramatically better, just dramatically better. I mean, I, you know, as much as there's any one interpretation of any Dylan song, I, you know, you, this song is clearly about a relationship. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, he's remembering a relationship that has since gone away. And, uh, I think he's trying to recall, you know, the woman's sort of, either the woman or the relationship shape-shifting qualities because in both versions there's there's lines about uh you know you said you were snow you were rain you were striped you were plain uh, there's a lot of this you know yin and yang back and forth you were this you were that kind of thing to it and you know i just think that the versions that you hear on the bootleg series where He's by himself, as opposed to the Under the Red Sky version, which has backup singers. Just right. to me, it's much more powerful to hear this guy try to recall this relationship and, and almost try and will himself into remembering it. Do you, do you? Is that your sort of perception of it? Totally. I mean, clearly he's incredibly distraught with this romance that's come in and out of his life, and he can't seem to find any sort of re- resolve. It's really it's a heartbreaking song, and so many of these great Dylan songs are complete heartthrobs. I mean, the entire Blood on the Tracks record, and this is a song that almost feels like it could have been on Blood on the Tracks. You know, it has that that wonderful sentimentality to it, um, and it's just incredibly low. I mean, it starts in the lonely night, in the blinking stardust of the pale moonlight. Um, it it just oozes in. And, and just sadness, I guess. But mm-hmm. in a in a way, it, it's it's comforting uh, for for listeners like us to 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 know that perhaps we're not alone. Sometimes, not that I've had any you know depressive relationships, but uh, <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> I I know no. Uh, but but this is something that that I think uh, certainly rings true to a lot of people. And the words, in a way, are are so simple, um, but they 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 create so much imagery. Um, you know, I, I've read these words uh, over, and I've been looking at the different versions, and they really are quite similar. 
but it, they all sort of reflect the same story here that he's just completely distraught with this woman. Yeah, I mean, structurally, it's it's basically the same song. But I mean, like one of the changes, for instance, you can make is uh, uh, there's one of the verses he says here is on the rising curve where the ways of nature will test every nerve, which is that's a hell of a turn phrase. Yeah. In the released version, he he ends that with "You won't get anything you don't deserve," or "We were born in time." And in the alternate version, he changes that line to "I took you close, I got what I deserve." When right. We were born in time, which to me is just much more immediate and just less opaque. You know, I, the, the 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 versions on the the, the bootleg series just seem. I, I you, it's funny you mentioned about blowing on the track. Yeah, I could see this sort of fitting on there. Uh, at least in the version that he originally recorded, and he never kept, he never stopped tinkering with it. He clearly kept kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out exactly the right way to, to put this across. Uh, yeah, from what I've read, there, there's six versions of the song. And being a musician, and, and really one of the things that got me to Dylan was I, I picked up guitar at the time that I started listening to Bob. And there's a great website called dylancords.info where this guy, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Eolf Ostrom, who literally has tabbed the entire body of work and has all the chords and even provides some sort of analysis of, of the music and the lyrics. And he, he has three versions here. He has the Oh Mercy version, he has the Telltale Signs, and then he has the Love Sick single version, which I haven't heard. I don't, I don't think I've heard that one either. I have to go and dig up my CDs because I had the Love Sick single I don't recall that one, huh? Okay. Yeah. So, and apparently Larry Campbell plays guitar on it, um, and, and the chords are a little bit different in that one as well. And I guess uh, it, it's important to note musically that you know if we're just talking about Telltale Signs and Oh Mercy, they're in a different key, um, which is something that you know I guess he's done before. And when he plays songs live, he always changes things up. Hmm. But I'll go ahead and agree with you that the Telltale Signs was uh, just a raw more raw version of the song uh, with just his voice. Again, that, that version of it could, could find its way onto blood on the tracks. Um, and he plays the telltale signs version in E and I don't know if you've ever had somebody, I have a guitar right next to me. Uh, I wonder if the sound comes through. Okay. But give he it plays a, it. Give it, yeah, give it a shot. Yeah. How does that sound? Does that sound okay? I can, I can hear it. So what's interesting about this one is, so he starts with an E chord, then he, then he goes to the, the minor, the C-sharp minor. But he doesn't play it the normal way. He leaves an open string in there on the high E string. So the difference is, this is the first one, and then open. So it already gives it more of that like dream quality to it. Then the next chord is that wonderful F-sharp minor. But rather than playing like this, he opens up more strings. And then hits you with the A minor. This is a chord, uh, a chord progression that, from what I've read, people think it's sort of standard, but it, I think it's very beautiful and one that uh, you know many musicians would would sort of revere. Uh, I know Jeff Lynn is a guy that loves uh, chord structures, you know, of Electric Light Orchestra, and was in the Traveling Wilburys, which. We can, this was, I think he wrote this song right after he broke up with the Traveling Wilbur. Not broke up, but they... Yeah, this, uh, this was the next album he did after Volume 3 with the Wilbur. Ex exactly. So this chord progression, I think, is like just uh, so beautiful. I think that's what initially drew me to it, uh, combined with really the melody of the beautiful words that he put together. Huh. Now, in your okay, this that's really interesting. In your opinion, like, what does that like? How, hmm, I shouldn't say how does one come to that conclusion because I guess there is no f 
set way. But I mean, do you have any speaking as a musician? Do you, how would hmm? I don't even sure what I'm trying to ask. I guess like how would you even get to that conclusion? Like how would you sort of come and say? You know what? Maybe we should try it with this. It is. Is it just a matter of battering it around and seeing and just saying, "Hey, what does it sound like with this? What does it sound like?" Yeah. So, uh, with, with these chord variations, yeah, it's it's you know, it's not like he's doing something that's completely novel, but it's clearly a, a theme throughout the song that he's that he keeps these open strings, and it makes it more mystifying uh, and creates more of an ambiance to the song. And I think that is what it is. I mean. Dylan has always loved to tinker with these songs and find oh, yeah. the perfect version of them. And I think he successfully found found really a great version that I assume he chose to be on Telltale Signs, right? I mean, there are other versions of it uh, that he didn't choose to be on it. Um, so clearly he saw something in this version as well. But I think that to answer your question, it is a bit of a tinkering and it's finding that that emotion and that mood that can come from a song and the small variations of it. Yeah, it's, it's one of the other versions that he sings here, and there's good. You, as you mentioned, there's several different ones, but like here, uh, he one of the versions he opens up is in the lonely night and the stars of a pale blue light. I think of you in black and white when we were made of dreams, which to me, I think of you in black and white recalls a movie, recalls an old movie, and knowing totally. knowing that Dylan is as big of a movie fan as he is, I can't help but think I'm picturing a guy. You know, sitting in his in his apartment watching an old movie, and that's the movie that reminds him of this relationship. You know, and now he's alone. But anyway, he sings, I walk along the shaken street listening to my heartbeat in the record-breaking heat when we were born in time. And then he goes on to, you were smooth, you were rough, you were more than enough. Oh, babe, why did I ever leave you or grieve you? And it's like, you know, whoa. That's, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of stuff going on here. And I said, it's, it's, I'm sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say baffled because Bob has done it so many times before, but like why he thought that the version for under the red sky was the way to go is really sort of, I guess it is baffling because to me it is decidedly inferior. It's much thinner to me than, than the other version. Right. Uh, but you know, when you think about it, he has left so many incredible songs off of so many of his records. Yes. That it's like we don't, we just can't figure him out, and maybe maybe he's like, yeah, we'll put it on a bootleg in another year or two, you know, or he's like leaving. I mean, by the way, it's like a wonderful thing to know that there's all these gems out there that are in the vaults, and it's like, you know, long after he passes away, there'll still be new music for us to discover and listen that, to. That's never gonna happen, Jared. I don't know what you're. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I always wonder what, what, how am I going to feel. Not, not to get too depressing, but he, he's an old guy. But I mean, he's certainly chugging on, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. He's he's certainly. He looks like he's his plan is to outlive all of his contemporaries. No, all, all of them. Every single one of them. So absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. Of that, I mean, he he did sing this song live. Uh, I think I heard the number sixty one or sixty four times. According to BobDylan.com, fifty six times. Okay. So 90, there you go. Ninety three through two thousand three. So he has pretty much left it behind. But two thousand three's that's still pretty obscure to hear it that late. Pull because this this was never a single or a hit or any sort of song. So you know, fifty fifty six times isn't a lot, but it's more than I probably thought it would have been. Uh, yeah. I mean, so here's the other thing. I'm excited that you brought that up and, and that we're talking about it. Have you heard the version where he sings it live with Eric Clapton? No, I have not. Oh, I know, I know Clapton covered this song. 
Yes, he did. So there's a great version. Uh, I, I believe it's at MSG, but it might not be. But it was Eric Clapton's concert to benefit his uh, his rehab center in Antigua. And uh, Dylan comes and he sings he sings this song with Clapton, and they do a duet of it. Wow. Uh, Although Dylan takes the bridges, uh, I, I wish I would have told you this before, uh, and you could have watched it because it, it's really an incredible, incredible video. And uh, you know, sort of the funny thing is that it's very hard to duet with Dylan, especially <laughs> later on in life, because you don't know how he's going to sing it, yeah. what melody he's going to do it, and what's the rhythm of his words. And it becomes apparent that Clapton realizes he's, he's on shaky ice when he's singing with him. And there's one part that – it's the rising curve uh, verse. They're clearly so far off. And, and for once, you know, it's, it's only occasionally that you see Dylan smile. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's a great moment. And then he so quickly wipes that smile off his face and gets back to the song. Um, but it, it's definitely a great version to check out. And, of course, Clapton did love the song just like we do and decided to put it on uh, uh, his record not too many years after. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's I, I, him and Eric. Obviously, they go Eric. Her and him. That's how like I talk. Like I know him. Him and Eric Clapton <laughs> go back obviously a very long time. And I think you mentioned Bob smiling. There was another concert they did. It was another benefit, and Dylan came out to sing a couple songs with Clapton, and they sang I think a couple of Cream songs. Oh, and, cool! Yes. And, and Dylan is smiling through the whole thing. So clearly, he really enjoys being on on stage with Eric Clapton. And yes, at the uh, 30th anniversary concert, Clapton is one of the guys on stage with Dylan at the end when they did the big jam on on my back pages. So obviously, he said they go back a a re- really long time. So this song wraps up with um, the same. In all the versions, end with the same verse, which is yes. In the hills of mystery, in the foggy web of destiny. You can have well, actually, the, the changes a little bit. Is you can have what's left of me right. when we were born in time, and so it really just has this sad. It's just a guy trying to recall his dream. You know, we're trying to recall this relationship, and he's even having a little trouble doing that. I think is it really does have that. I mean, the name of the damn song is "Born in Time," but it really does have that timeless. You're not exactly sure the duration of this relationship, or how long it's been past, or whether even in some cases it even really is the past. It, everything this everything here is shifting at all times, and it really does give you that sense of displacement that Dylan is clearly going for. And it's funny because to me, there's much more sense of uh, time displacement on Oh Mercy than on Under mm. the Red Sky. And so to me, this this would have fit in much better on on Oh Mercy. But again, we'll never know why uh, you know it didn't make it on. Yeah, no, we'll we'll never know. That that last verse is. Probably my favorite. Uh, I mean, the, on the rising curve as well. Which, I want to discuss that for a second. Like on the rising curve, where the ways of nature will test every nerve. Like the rising curve. I'm thinking of like a test. Like the rising curve. Like it's getting more and more difficult to live in this world. Mm. It's like right. It's like the the average score keeps on going up. And if you want to do well in the class or in life, you got to keep on getting better. Mm. And nature keeps on testing you harder and harder. That's, that's, I yes, I buy that entire yeah the the line where the ways of nature will test every nerve. I always took that to be and taken. I can't believe I said that taken. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I I have said in my own life many times is like there are people who you see you know either you know in your own life or you, you see in the, you know the celebrities or something who are like have you know horrible substance abuse problems or or, or other problems and I always wonder like. 
I don't know how they find time <laughs> to, to do all that because to me, I find basic life hard enough. Totally. You know, having a job, maintaining a relationship, being a good person, being a moral, aware person, or should I say woke, being a, you know, a woke person in the world and dealing with all the stuff you're hit with every day, every moment of every day. To me, regular life is enough. And that's, right. what, that's what that line is to me, is the, the ways of nature will test every nerve. Some days it doesn't test your nerve, but some days it does. Some totally. days it does. And it's it's amazing that that aligned to me that is so sort of profound is sort of I don't want to say buried, but it's 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 it, this that it's this song doesn't pivot off of that line. And yet there it is. It really jumps out at you. Uh, totally. And then in a way that he sums it up for us in the hills of mystery and the foggy web of destiny, like it's just a web. It's all this these these events and things and triumphs and, and issues and problems that are just all combined together into this web of destiny or life or whatever it is, you know. And he clearly gives up in the end, or I guess it's the <laughs> the uh, 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 the under the red sky version. You can have what's left of me when we were born in time. And then you know something I want to bring up: the name of the song, "Born in Time." The first thing I thought of, and and I really thought of it after I listened to your episode on Simple Twist of Fate, was, you know, uh, she was born in spring, but I was born too late. Mm. Not in this song. We were born in time in this Mm -hmm. song, which is interesting. Yeah, Dylan has always been very, I mean, he's given interviews where he's talked about the the notion of, you know, and he's mentioned in songs about, you know, being brought here against his will. Like, you know, you're not, I think he mentions in Not Dark Yet, which we covered on the show many episodes back. Where it's the idea of I was I was born here against my I was I, I was uh, born here and I'll die here against my will, right? You know the notion of you were brought into sort of the time stream as it were, and you're just again trying to navigate this thing. But yeah, the, this this yeah I get the sense that at the end of the song this is a guy whose reverie of this woman has concluded for the moment, and so now he's sort of you know the the the, the memory has evaporated, and you know it's funny. I mean I've I'm. I'm in my 40s now, and I've lived long enough to know that there are sort of chunks of my life where I really barely remember certain things, and I, I don't have the I don't have drugs to fall back on as an excuse. <laughs> but I mean, there there are times where you know I think, boy, when was what was I doing back then? And it's like, boy, that's a chunk of my life that's just out of my memory, and that's a weird thing because it was important to me at the time, you know. And so right. when I think about some of the things of people that I've known, yeah, you do get that sense of this is, you know, your life is this sort of time stream and people are coming in and out of it and you're in their time stream and going out and that's that's what this does. And again, this is a song that's, you know, it's uh, when it was put out, it's on, I think it's song four of side one of Under the Red Sky. It's sort of nestled in there and you right. hear it and it's, it's not anything, again, not a song he spent a lot of time uh, focusing on. Again, we talked about these only performed it six times, but there's a lot here. There's a whole lot here. Uh, totally. And, and I think what's interesting is when I, when I first heard it, I heard the telltale signs version and I was in, I was in love with that. And I'm sort of at the point where now I kind of like the bridge of the, uh, of the under the red sky version. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I'm sort of, I sort of enjoy, I think the rhythm of the words there. And maybe that's just, it's, it's almost nice to have another version of the song. Oh, you know, sure. and, yeah. and, and perhaps there's more. It's nice that I, I can choose these different versions and they are sort of different and the words are sort of different and, and the key is different. 
it's it's just it's, it's almost like a nice treat. It's like kind of like when you when you go to see the Grateful Dead live, and, and of course they'll always play a song differently. Well, I guess Dylan does that live too, but here on recorded versions, we have so many different samples of what could be. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, we've read Chronicles and heard some things right. from Daniel Lenoir. I just can't imagine what it's like producing this guy. And apparently the deal that he struck with the Was Brothers for Under the Red Sky was that the Was Brothers said, we'll record whatever songs you want to record. Like, we're not going to have any input on what songs, but we're going to pick the backing musicians, which is why uh, right. that, al- that album is pretty, uh, I would say, overloaded with celebrity appearances. Uh, Elton John right. is on the record and Slash is on one of the songs. Apparently, they didn't get along too well uh, there. <laughs> I didn't know that, by the way. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, apparently, Dylan was not happy with the way Slash played it and Slash sort of stormed off or something like that. But, but uh, David Crosby is, is on it and Bruce Hornsby. Right. And it's a real celebrity thing. And it's not something Dylan ever did again, basically. Uh, I think he was probably a little uncomfortable with that kind of uh, approach. But, I mean, yeah, it's the, just this song does to me, it has that spare feeling of just a guy talking to you. And so when I hear those other people singing in the background, it just sort of jumps out at me a little. Like, oh, I don't, mm, I don't you know. You don't want them there, yeah. I don't want them I mean, there. I, I like hearing Bob right. by himself. All right. I mean, when you go back to, to the roots of it, it was just Dylan, a guitar, and a, and a harmonica, which is, yeah. I think, the first thing that drew me to it was how that could be so powerful. Mm-hmm. Right? Just one guy and one guitar and one wailing harmonica that can make you cry or make you laugh or make you think or you know, lead a protest movement in civil rights, um, or, or get a boxer out of prison. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, I think he's somebody that's been able to use, uh, music as a real powerful, powerful tool for himself, but also for, I guess, civic and social change in a way. It's, uh, it's definitely incredible. Yeah, he's done a lot of. He's done amazing. It's amazing, amazing stuff. And like I said, even for a song as obscure as this, there's you dig into it, and it's it's huge. It's just expansive. It goes on and on and on. It's just sort of amazing. So, uh, I think that's gonna do it. I think for Born in Time. Is there anything else you want to say about it before we before we wrap up? Uh, I do want to say one thing. I I found this song through. Uh, there's there's somebody on YouTube named Pete Sugarman. Have you seen his channel uh, yet? No, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, so this guy Pete Sugarman has been uploading this awesome trove of, of Dylan outtakes and, and all these old songs and, oh, wow. and live versions. Uh, this guy has introduced me to so much stuff over the last month and a half that I, uh, I encourage every listener to go out and check out this guy's channel. Because uh, he's just – he's like posting this, these great uh, uh, songs every day. And people keep commenting. They're like – Asking him if if he's Bob Dylan because like, how, how do you have all this stuff? And the guy just keeps on unloading song after song. Have you heard the song uh, uh, "Don't Take Yourself Away"? Oh yeah, yes, I, that's an that's an obscure one. Yeah, that's an obscure one. Um, almost done. Have you heard that song? Yeah, I've heard that one. Yep. Great, great songs. And then he, he he put this one up, which is how I sort of heard it. And now I'm like lost in like the '80s and early '90s of Dylan right now, which is something I never explored. Uh, so it's been a real treat. Interesting. That's funny you mentioned that. I will sign off with this because it reminds me of a story I heard that many years ago, and again, this brings us back to Eric Clapton. Many years ago, apparently Eric Clapton and Sheryl Crow dated. Mm. And it was it was, uh, it was was before they, I guess, officially announced it or that they weren't hiding it. But it was rumored for a while. And I saw an interview with Sheryl Crow a couple of years ago or maybe 10 years ago or something like that where – 
I don't know how it came up, but but they talked about that that she saw Dylan at a at a show because she opened for him in the '90s. That's when I actually saw right. her back then before she before she got famous. And she runs into Bob, and she said that the first thing Bob says to her is, "So, what's this I hear about you and Eric Clapton?" <laughs> and she was like, "Bob, have you been watching Access Hollywood again?" That's and amazing. he's like, "Just it conjures this image of Bob Dylan in front of ten TV screens, watching TMZ and all this stuff, just to keep his, you know, keep, keep his mind aware of all of what's going on." So that's just cracks up. So I love the idea that it's it's absurd that that's Bob Dylan uploading videos to his to a YouTube channel, but it's right. not that absurd. <laughs> It's 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 not, it's not as crazy as it might be. So no, that's, it's true. That's very funny thing about. It. Yeah, I'm gonna have to absolutely gonna have to check that out. So, uh, well, that's awesome, Jared. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And then I have to pull back the curtain a little bit, and I have to, I want to thank Jared public Jared publicly for this. I mentioned a while ago the show is going to go on hiatus because there was some things going on in the world where I right. just said. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do podcasting anymore. What's the point? But uh, I, you know, and Jared and I had talked about doing the show and I had they'd written to Jared and said, let's just hold off. I don't know if I want to do it. And to his credit, Jared kind of kept pestering me a little saying, are we going to do it again? Are we going to do it again? And I kept kind of, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. And and finally, what you did and some other people who wrote me some nice notes and said, we really missed the show. We want you to bring it back. So, uh, I appreciate it, Jared. I, Jared, I really appreciate you you having the guts to do that because I'm glad we got a chance to do this, and I'm glad that you know I'm going to talk about Bob Dylan again because you know it makes me feel good to do it. So thanks, thank totally. You thank you for coming on, and thank you for again for being persistent. Uh, of course, and thank you for doing this show. Uh, I discovered it. Uh it's about a month ago or a month and a half ago, and it's been very cool to listen to these episodes, uh, and it's a pleasure to be on. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. So, all right. Well, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's pod underscore Dylan, and the show can be found along with all of our other awesome shows over on our network site, which is finewaterpodcast.com. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Jared, thanks again. I would love to have you back on. I loved hearing yeah. the music playing. That was really cool. I loved it. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. Bye. In the lonely night, in the blinking stardust of a pale blue light, you're coming through to me in black and white. When we were made of dreams, you're blowing down the shape. One more night, not one more kiss, not this time, baby. No more of this. Takes too much skill, takes too much will. It's too revealing. You came, you saw, just like the law. You married young, just like your mom. You tried and tried, you made me slide, you left me reeling with this feeling. Just when I knew who to thank. 
Oh 